Well, as you can tell, this morning is uh, Communion Sunday. We want to make sure that we have enough time to observe communion together, as we've even been learning about communion uh, over the weeks in our study on, on the church. Uh, so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to finish this section uh, on verses 42 down to verse 47. We've been talking about defining marks of a, of a healthy church or an effective church, and we've kind of slowed the pace down just to make sure that we understand our foundations uh, we understand the blueprint of what God has has created in the church, and uh, this morning we'll finish that, and then we'll finish out uh, the service uh, taking communion together, and it'll be just a, a sweet, sweet time uh, together with, with the church family. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about being a witnessing church, a witnessing church, and so you can have that kind of on your minds and on your hearts as we walk through this together. Um, and understand what it means to be a church that witnesses for the glory, the glory of God. Well, let me just read for us Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll uh, jump into all that it has to say, all that the Lord has to say for us this morning. This is what it says, Acts 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Our Heavenly Father, it is always a privilege to open up the Word of God. The fact that you decided to give us the revelation of who you are in written form and that we get to have it right there with us, right in our laps, the inspired Word of God. To hear from you, all we have to do is open up our Bibles and start reading. And this morning, we get to not only read the Word, we get to study it. And I pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to understand it. Lord, I pray that even now, you would even humble our hearts to receive what it has to say. May we never think that we've arrived in our understanding. May we never think that we've learned enough, that we can even stop growing in our understanding, but even humble us now to, to grow even this morning in knowing who you are, and knowing the truth of the church and how it is built and how it comes together and how we're to be those who witness for you the, the marvelous work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've been looking at, what we've, what we've called the blueprint of the early church. If God was to construct his church, if he was to design his church, or if he was to unroll the, the blueprints of the church, he would unroll for us Acts 2, verses 42, down to verse 47. He's really given to us the non-negotiables that, that uh, apply to the church. These are the things that are expected that, uh, that the church would do. 
And we looked at these uh, six defining marks then of an effective church. And the first thing we looked at, and we just kind of helped set the context here, is that we looked at this, that the early church was a learning church. They always grew. They always wanted to grow in their understanding of who God is. They, uh, they wanted more truth. They wanted more doctrine. They wanted more understanding uh, of what Jesus had done for them on the cross. Not only were they a learning church, they were also a mutually caring church. They understood that their unity comes from Christ and their unity uh, then for one another uh, is because of their unity in Christ and not because of their, uh, their like in- interests or similar hobbies that they had or even background, but their unity was in Christ. And because of that, they had to care for one another as if they were a family. If anybody had need, they helped one another out. They were glad. They were generous. They helped one another. They cared for one another. They loved one another. It was, it was known that the early church had a deep, deep love and care for each other. They were in fellowship with one another because of the fellowship or communion that they had in Jesus Christ. And then third, we notice this, is that it's also a communion-taking church. To remind themselves of the fellowship that they had uh, in Christ, they would often take communion together. They would take the the bread and they would take the cup and this would be a physical reminder of what Christ had done for them on the cross. It was right there in front of them. And then that would remind them of the unity that they had with one another and then the care that would come from that. Also, number four, they were a praying church. They committed themselves to prayer. This is the the gasoline and the engine of the church. It moves because it is a praying church. They prayed together. They didn't just pray individually, but the emphasis here is a corporate prayer uh, for the church. It was a, a prayer for the, uh, the people within the church. They had mutual needs that they prayed for. It was also a prayer for the expansion uh, of the church, the growth of the church, that God would use them in mighty ways. Then last week we saw this, that this, uh, the, the fifth defining mark of an effective church is that they were a worshiping church. The church loved to come together and praise God. They loved to come together and sing of the goodness of who God is. Unashamed in their worship, this is what God has done. And I want to make sure that people understand that my heart is joyful and excited and is willing to tell whoever wants to hear about who God is, about what Christ has done says there in verse 47 that they were praising God, having favor with all the people. This is what an effective church does. They, they're willing and ready at any moment to express their heart, and they do, through, do so through song. They praise the Lord. We looked at that last week in detail, that we are a singing church or a worshiping church. Then this morning, the last mark is this, is a witnessing church, a witnessing church. Now, I want us to kind of go back before we just jump to application and say, hey, you guys just need to go out and evangelize. Now, ready, set, go, ready, break, and just throw on this massive guilt because I haven't done that in a while. And now the, the pastor's up there and he's just going to guilt me into evangelizing because I know that that's what I need to do and I just don't do a very good job of it. 
That's not at all what I want to do this morning. What I want to do is I want to help us understand uh, the, the theology or the doctrine behind evangelism as it comes to and, it, and as, it, as, it, as, it, as it comes to the local church. How is the local church to be a witnessing church? There's some things we need to understand about the church before we get to the application. And the first thing is this, as we're studying, listen closely, as we're studying the church, we know that God is the designer of the church, right? We've talked about that each and every week, that this is a perfect design. It is an effective design. It is a beautiful design. But I also want you to know this, that God is not just the designer of the church, but God is also the builder of the church. He is a design build of the local church. He doesn't just say, hey guys, here's the, here's the design, now it's up to you to build the church. It's up, up, for, up to you to go out and make sure that people are saved. It's up to you to go out and to make sure that people come to church. No, God doesn't only design it, but God is actually the builder of it as well. When we talk about the church, what we talk about is this. It is, it is those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They consist of the true church. This building is just a building. It became a church when you guys walked into it. Other than that, it could be used for all different kinds of functions, and so oftentimes it does. It's a church when God's people assemble together inside the building. And so when we say that God is the builder of the church, what we're saying is not that he's the one that is the architect of the physical building. What we're saying is that God is the builder of the people within it. The spiritual building of the church happens because God is the one who builds it. Now, there's a, an important verse that we got to go to, and I want to spend some time here before we get to the application of this. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is a very important passage for us. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. If you have a pen, if you highlight, this is one of those verses that you want to highlight or underline. It says this in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, here it is, I will build my church. What is Jesus saying? He is saying this, that I am going to build whose church? I am going to build what? My church. This is a, this is a promise of Jesus. This was not just some passing comment that he kind of just kind of threw out there to see, hey, will anybody take of this? this kind of suggestion that I'm making here? No, he says, I will build my church. And then he goes on, he says this, look at the, verse, the, the rest of verse 18. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's saying this, that, 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 that I'm going to build a church, it, it, it's not going to fail, and not even Satan and his demons who hate me will be able to stop the building of his church. Nothing can stop God building his church. Nothing. This would have been a, quite encouraging to those who heard him say this. 
This would have been comforting to them. Comforting to know that the church will not fail. Comforting to know this, that the work of sharing the gospel will not fail. This is a promise from Christ who is true, who is faithful. This is a promise from Christ who is God, who cannot lie. This is a promise from the one who keeps his word. This is also very personal to Christ. This is my church, and I'm not going to let it fail. And so listen, the certainty and the assurance of the church and the church's success is based on the unchanging, unwavering, absolute promise of God. Are you relieved yet when it comes to evangelism? The success of the church actually doesn't lie upon us. It relies entirely on the promise of God, the promise of Jesus Christ. We are actually, church, not the builders of the church. God is the builder. God is the one who softens hearts. God is the one who saves hearts. In fact, God has even ordained the size of the church. God has ordained the timing and the growth of the church. God has ordained the persecution that happens to the church. We can't speed up God's plan. We can't slow down God's plan. We can't amend God's plan. We can't make the church any bigger than God wants it to be. We can't make the church any smaller than God wants it to be. And even with all the threats to the church, even with with all the the dying denominations within the church, even though there's secularism coming into the church and the culture is coming into the church and politics are coming into the church, even when the church is against all odds, listen closely, God will be successful in building his church. The gates of hell cannot stop it. The true church will be built because God has made a promise that he's going to build his church. It's an unstoppable plan. Nobody can get in the way of it. Not even the government. You say, why is this such an unstoppable plan. Let me, let me even dig a little bit deeper. Can we go a little bit deeper here? Let's dig a little bit deeper. Why is this such an unstoppable plan? It's not just because God has says, I will build my church, but we need to go understand this, that the plan for the church started in eternity past. This, the church isn't an, an eternal plan. It's not just an Acts 2.42 thing where they're like, hey, let's get together. Oh, there's the church. Well, when did this just happen? Well, it just happened right now, and let's just go with it. No, this is an eternal plan. It stretches all the way back to eternity past. And guess what? It's going to go all the way into eternity future. This is an eternal plan of God. I want you to see this. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. You say, are are we actually going to get to Acts 2.47? We will, I promise. But... It's going to be a minute. Ephesians chapter 1. We've got to see this eternal plan of God. When it comes to 
people being saved. Ephesians chapter 1, let's just read verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, here we go, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of his will, who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." What does Ephesians 1 teach us about the church? It teaches us this, that even before the world began, even before you and I were established here on this earth, God had in eternity past a plan for the church, a plan of salvation that he chose and he predestined, and now all of that is unfolding in real time. The church is the result of the sovereign plan of an eternal God. And the reason why the church is going to be successful is because this plan is simply unfolding. He chose it to happen. He predestined it to happen. It was all to the praise of his glory. All of it, we read it over and over again. It's to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. What God did not do is God did not say, hey, uh, hey world, I'm going to send Jesus, my son. He's going to die on the cross for your sin. He's going to take on the full wrath of God and then sit back and cross his fingers and go, I hope somebody believes in him. I hope somebody chooses to believe in Jesus Christ. For 33 years, they had this option, and at the end of 33 years, how many believe? 120. That's not great odds if God's just sitting back going, I hope this thing works. No. Why is it going to work? Because God has already planned it and predestined it for it to work. From eternity past, he has promised that the church is going to be built. From eternity past, he has chosen us for salvation. And it is all to the praise and glory of his son, Jesus Christ. 
I want you to see another verse here. Turn to Acts. If we're, we're in Acts, so it's helpful even in Acts to see this unfold. Turn to Acts chapter 13 and verse 47. Verse 46, it says this, 1346, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. God didn't just say, hey, go bring salvation to the ends of the earth in hopes that it might work. No, there was already those who were appointed to eternal life. Turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse 6. To this letter written to the Romans, you could see this this same idea, the same understanding. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, Through whom we have received grace and the apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, what? Who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. At our member meeting, Dave, Dave read this to us at our member meeting last week. Listen to this in the understanding of God calling us to salvation. This plan of God to build his church unfolding as God calls us in verse 1. Paul, what, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And our brother, Sosanus. What a crazy name that is. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, what? called to be saints together with all those in every place call upon the name of the lord jesus christ both their lord and ours grace to you and peace from god our father of our lord jesus christ i give thanks to my god always for you because of the grace of god that was given to you in christ jesus that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in, all, in, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You were called into the fellowship. You're called into salvation. The church is God's chosen people. The church is those who are called of God, appointed into eternal life. The the plan of the church is going to work because God has already set it in motion to work. He's not sitting back and hoping for the people to figure it out. It's been determined before the world began, running exactly according to plan. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be altered, it cannot be amended, it cannot be changed, and all of it, listen church, is working to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. It is all for the glory 
of God. Which leads then to this question. And maybe you have this question. Well, what in the world are we doing here on earth then? Why are we even here? What's my role? What's my purpose then on earth? It's got to be something, otherwise we'd just go to heaven once we were saved. God has left me here to do something. I want to show you what we're here for. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Jesus gives us our role. Matthew 28, he gets to the end of his final days here on earth before he ascends into heaven. In Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, known as the Great Commission, maybe many of you have heard this more and more and more. Matthew 28, verse, six, verse 16, he says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority is given in heaven on earth has been given to me. Here it is, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is, is, is telling his people, is commanding his people, those who believe in Jesus Christ, that they are to go and give testimony to all the work that Jesus Christ has done. You are in the process of continually going and going and going and sharing and sharing and sharing the gospel. Over and over and over again. You're baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit. You're teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He comes to the end and says, hey, my work here is, is, is done in the sense of salvation. He ascends into heaven. He passes the baton on to you to do the continuing work of evangelism that Christ has started. And we go out and we evangelize the lost. We are witnesses of all that Jesus has done. We are to go. We go into our houses. We share the truth. We go into our homes. We share the truth. We go into our schools. We go into our cities. We go into our communities. We go into our businesses. We go to our sports teams. We go into our friends group with the primary mission of evangelizing the lost. That is why you are here. You're here to be an evangelist. You're here to be part of a plan that is not going to fail. You're here to share the gospel. If you remember in Acts, turn back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You remember there when, when Jesus ascends into heaven, his, some of his last words there in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and what? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the sovereign plan of God, salvation is not up to you and I. We don't have to feel the guilt or the pressure to be the one that God uses to save someone else. God does the saving. We do the witnessing. God does the saving. We do the sharing. 
He has the power to save. And we just faithfully go out and share the message of Jesus Christ. We scatter the seed. We tell people about who the Messiah is. This is the command of God upon our lives. Say, is it just because God commands us to do that? No, it's more than that. R.C. Sproul is helpful in this. Listen to this quote by R.C. Sproul. He says this, We evangelize because our Creator commands us to evangelize. But that is not the only reason we engage in evangelism in world missions. The doctrine of predestination means that the Lord does not or the, that the Lord does not ordain the end without also ordaining the means to the end, the way in which people will receive salvation. God's plan is comprehensive. He works out all things according to the counsel of his will, and the counsel of his will has determined that he will use his people to reach the lost and call them into his kingdom. He has decided that in, in the ordinary course of events, people will be saved through the explanation of the gospel on the part of Christians. He doesn't just ordain the end, he also ordains the means, the, the way by which people receive the gospel that is also ordained by God. And God uses the gospel in the lives of those who will receive him. And guess what? We hold the message of the gospel. Turn with me to, to Romans. Romans chapter 10. I know you're like, wow, we're really just turning through our Bible here. Well, I want to show you how the Bible teaches itself, defends itself. In Romans chapter 10, in verse 9, it says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. True statement right here. Very true statement. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We believe that with our whole heart, church. But it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 14. How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear what? Without someone preaching. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How are they supposed to know? If we are not the ones going out to tell them about the gospel, the gospel is the means by which people are saved and we hold the gospel in our hearts. It is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But how are they going to know if somebody isn't sent to tell them? J.A. Packer says this, God's way of saving sinners is to bring them to faith through bringing them in contact with the gospel. God's way of saving sinners is to bring them to faith, what? Through bringing them in contact with 
the gospel. I want to show you a, a couple of verses. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter one and verse five. We're starting verse four. For we know, brothers, here it is, it comes together right here. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Here it is, what, verse five. Because what? Our gospel came to you. Our gospel came to you. Not only in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Chosen of God, but through the power of the gospel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, here it is, verse 14, to this he called you, what? Through our gospel. Through our gospel. The mystery is certainly there. Chosen of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God who ordains the ends also ordains the means. It is through the gospel of Jesus Christ that people are saved. And this is the Apostle Paul saying these things, the greatest evangelist of all time. Notice this then, because of that, look at 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. I want you to see this then. The ministry that we have. Knowing these things, this is the ministry that we have. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We persuade others. But we know, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also to your conscience. We are not commanding ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that we may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is of you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he had died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but also for him, for the sake of for their sake, died and was raised. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, what? 
through us. We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We persuade men. We're ambassadors for Christ, even though it is Christ who does all the reconciling back to God. And so we understand this, that our evangelism is seen through the sovereignty of God, that God is going to build his church and that he is going to use us to do it. And this actually inspires us and encourages us to go out and evangelize, right? Because what? It's not going to fail. It's not going to fail. His plan's not going to fail because we didn't get our words right. His plan's not going to fail because... We don't know enough of the Bible. His plan is not going to fail because we feel like we don't know enough or we're not courageous enough or we're not bold enough. No, I'm telling you, church, his plan is going to go exactly how he wants it to go and what a privilege it is that he has asked of us to be those to share the gospel that we get to be part of an eternal plan of salvation by simply being those who say, hey, can I tell you about the gospel? And God, you're going to do whatever you want to do with it. Can I just share with you the gospel? We don't need clever speech. We don't need creative tactics. We don't need special means for people to become saved. It is because of the power of God that somebody is saved. And listen, our role is this, simply to be faithful. The Bible never speaks to you and I being successful. Only to be faithful because all the praise and all the glory goes to what? Jesus Christ. And so we be faithful. I understand this. One of the biggest hurdles in evangelism is the fear of rejection. I get it. I've been there. I've sat on the airplane next to the person next to me that starts talking, and you're like, you can feel it. You're like, this is my chance. This is my chance. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We've reached our uh, uh, descending uh, time on the plane. Oh, I got to grab my stuff. Didn't happen. All right? You guys are smiling. You've been there. You've been there before, right? What? Fear. Fear of what? Fear of rejection. Fear that they may not, may not like what you have to say. Fear of, of whatever it is that comes over you in that moment. Fear of man. I get it. I understand it. I've been there. I've walked that, that road before. And then maybe you have this thought too. And maybe this is even more true for you is this. I tried. I tried with that person. It didn't work. I tried with my mom. I tried with my dad. I tried with my brother and sister. I tried with my cousin. We're going to be back at family dinner at Easter. And I tried, I've tried, I've tried. So this is my, my thinking. I'm just not going to try anymore. Because what? It didn't work. I'm not the right person, somebody else. We need the right setting. We need the right place. We need the right revival to happen. We need this, we need this. We think we need all these other things and that our clever words, our attempts are not working. I love what J.R. Packer says. He, he's, got, he's super helpful in, in, in helping us with this kind of encouragement. There's four things. It'd be good for you to, to, to write these things down to help us. Number one is this. We must admit 
that we were silly ever to think that any evangelistic technique, however skillful, could of itself guarantee conversion. It's silly for us to think that if we had some clever technique or just the right mood or just the right beat to a song or just the right questions, the result is salvation. Kind of puts us at ease to go, you know what? It's not actually about the technique. It's just about me sharing the gospel. And it can happen anywhere, right? We hear a story of, uh, of someone in our church, they're at a mailbox. The gospel is shared at a mailbox, and they're like, I need Jesus now. How does that happen? Because God saves. That's how that happens. Number two, we must recognize, because man's heart is impervious to the word of God, it is no cause for surprise if at any time our evangelism fails. We shouldn't be surprised if it fails because of what? Of the hardness of the heart of man. So don't get discouraged at failure. Number three is this. We must remember that the terms of our calling are that we should be faithful, not that we should be successful. Right? Nobody's up there. God's not up there going, he failed again, he failed again, he failed again, got one, failed again, failed again, failed again, got one, failed again, failed again, as if it's a percentage. And then when you get to heaven, you're like, okay, you were at like 3%. Okay, back of the line, buddy. You're in, but back of the line. Billy Graham, come on, get up here. Good for you. No, God saves. He's not keeping track. He's just looking for people to be faithful. Number four, we must learn to rest all our hope of fruit and evangelism upon what? The omnipotent grace of God. Rely on God. When you go into that conversation, rely on God as you're you're praying for that person. Don't rely on yourself. Don't even think that you've got the powerful words. All you've got is the faithfulness of being a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you pour that out and God's going to do what he's going to do. Simply because you were faithful. Simply because you were faithful. And God's going to build his church. He's promised to do, so, to do so. We're actually on the winning team. We're actually on the winning side. I want you to go back to Acts 2.42 now. Uh, that, yeah, we're going to get there right now. Okay, This is all going to make sense, hopefully. It's all going to come together. Acts 2, 42, verse 47. Then we're going to take communion. Notice in Acts 2, 42 to 47, I want you to notice. There's no rally. There's no special technique. There's no clever speech. There's no stage. There's no platform. There's no superstars. There's no A-listers. All there is is simply what? People who are faithful. They're joyful. They're prayerful. They're in fellowship with one another. They're praising God. And look what it says in verse 47. They're having favor with all the people. And what what happens with that? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Who added to their number, church? The Lord. The Lord added to their number. What was the church doing? They were praying, they were worshiping, 
They were in fellowship with one another. They were growing. They were in unity. They had love for one another. And God used that, the witness to the community. Now notice this. Those people did not stay there only in the temple. They were not only just temple dwellers, and they did not just hoard that information to themselves in the temple. What does it say? They had favor with all the people, meaning what? They were out in the community. And people saw this. They had a sweet aroma of the grace of God upon their lives. People knew how much they cared for one another. People saw their joy. They saw their unity. And that was the powerful testimony to the community. They did not hide their faith. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Jesus kept his promise. He grew the church. Because this is what God does. He builds. He saves. He brings people into the family of God. And what a blessing it is that we get to be a part of that eternal plan. Amen? Who are we? That God would say, hey, I need you to just go share the gospel. Just, just, go, just, just go be faithful for me. I'll take care of the rest from there. No guilt, no pressure. Just, just do, just go. I'll take care of the rest. So let's be faithful to do that, church. Let's be faithful to be a witnessing church. Let me just pray for us and we'll take some communion together. Lord, thank you for this time. These are some hard truths often for us. But what a privilege it is to be a part of the eternal plan of God. What a privilege it is to just be faithful. It's all you ask of us. Not to be successful, but to be faithful. All the success lies in your powerful hands. And we gladly follow you and your lead in this. Would you help us, Lord? Give us the courage we need. Give us the strength we need. Help us to share the truth of Jesus Christ to those that we come in contact with and trust you with all the results. In your name, amen.